For this morning, um, if you're joining us for the first time, we are right in the midst of this new series on the new direction and vision that we see God has given us for our church. So you've come at a great time, and this is who we believe God calling us to be. Um, you can put your hands up if you want with me and do it with me. This is the vision. You can cheat. We are a church to call home where relationships flourish, generations connect, and neighbors are loved for the glory of God. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about part three of that series as we look at what it means to be intergenerationally connected. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, loving us enough not only to send Jesus Christ, but to give us your word that illuminates the gospel to us, the good news. And God, we pray this morning as we open up your word and we think about what it means for us that you would, um, Lord, make us into the likeness of the image of your son. God, that when we leave this place today, we would be changed and transformed by you. Lord, that this living and active word would come alive in our hearts. God, give us ears to listen this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So if you want, we're going to turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 27 together, 12 through 27. Hear now God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Everybody make a fist with me, if you will. We're just getting real interactive this morning. Make a fist with me. They say that the average size of an adult human heart is the size of your fist. And that heart inside of your chest beats over 115,000 times a day. Scientists claim that the heart is connected to 60,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. 60,000 miles. Your aorta is as large as a garden hose. 
but some of your capillaries are 10 times smaller than the size of a human hair. They say the average heart weighs less than a pound, and yet it pumps 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Just put some gallons of jugs up here and just, you with me? Let me just keep on going. There are more nerve cells in the human brain than there are stars in the Milky Way. Over 100 billion neurons exist in your brain alone. 100 billion. Through your nervous system, your body can send messages to your brain at over 200 miles per hour. That's why when your finger touches a hot stove, your reaction is instant. Scientists say the human brain is more complex than any structure known in our universe. But when it comes to the largest organ in your body, it's not your brain. What is it? It's your skin. We got doctors all over the place in here. I don't know why I'm talking. Your skin is by nature the greatest onboard thermostat that ever existed. All day long, it works with the rest of your nervous system and your heart rate to regulate your temperature. So when it's hot, you sweat, but we have no idea what that looks like here. When it's cold, your pores tighten to limit heat loss. So just to ensure the protection of the elements, your skin then regenerates itself 28 to 38, 30 days long. Think about that. Every 28 to 30 days, you have a brand new coat of skin. You are quite literally a walking miracle. And as you were coming into church this morning, every organ, every capillary, every heartbeat, every neuron somehow all work together in perfect unison to put you in that seat. And yet here's the fascinating part for me. If you took any organ and you set it apart from the whole, it would instantaneously be useless. And I share this with you not because of some groundbreaking original thought of biological significance. We've probably heard many of these facts before. Um, I share this with you because this was Paul's analogy of church. Look at how he explains this phenomenon in, in 1 Corinthians. Look at this in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He carries on in 19. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and yet one body. Paul's writing this lesson, these words, in the context of a lesson on spiritual gifts. And his point is really clear, right? He says, as Christians, we were meant to do this thing called life together. For those in Christ, God has blessed each of us uniquely with these different gifts of the Spirit. And we were meant in this community to put all of our gifts together somehow with each gift in synergy with the one next to us. All of it intricately connected for the cause of the gospel. And yet if you think about it, this concept of the church can either be really beautiful, this gorgeous picture, or it can be really messy because not all of us receive the same gift. We approach life from different angles. I mean, the same room comes different perspectives. Kind of reminds me of a painting. You know, what makes for a beautiful painting is like the thousands of unique colors. Each one has its own purpose and texture and hue, Right? And while some of these colors may blend, it's the uniqueness of each color that brings the canvas to life. And yet, here's the challenge with that. I think sometimes we look around the room and we think, man, I wish God would have made me that vibrant color over there. Or on the flip side of the coin, we, we sometimes look at our own skill set and we think, man, I could do it so much better than them. Thank you, God, for the awesome gifts. And yet, God's word brings this countercultural phenomenon 
that still to this day is in stark contrast to the world around us, where your gifts and my gifts and our gifts come together for the cause of the gospel of Christ. Look at this prayer that Jesus prayed just before he goes to the cross in John's gospel, chapter 17. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. And so as far as Jesus is concerned, to be the church is to be intricately woven and connected. In fact, the oneness that Jesus prays for here is this same perfect unity between the Father and the Son. You talk about aiming for the skies. And yet this is a really messy reality because people are messy and relationships are messy. And this connectional concept, at least on this side of eternity, is made up a lot of broken parts. When I was in graduate school, I came across this concept called family systems theory. And this is the idea. Family systems theory is this concept that in any given relational system, the only way to fully understand an individual is to study their relation to the greater whole. In other words, any part of the the system, in order to know it, you have to know it has a direct effect on all of its counterparts. And it's not until we examine the whole that we can begin to truly understand each individual. Let me just break this down. A few summers ago, as many of you know, I wrecked my ankle. Level three sprain. It was awesome. You could hear the pop all the way out in the field. It echoed. And and months into this injury, I suddenly started to experience this hip pain that I had never had before. So I asked my PT, I'm like, what's up with this? He said, well, you're walking wrong. Because the injury in your ankle caused a change in your step, which caused stress in your hip flexor. One part has a direct or indirect effect on all the other parts. Listen again to how our lesson explains this. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And we see this in the midst of family dynamics all the time. Like if mom or dad are at odds, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. We can see the kids know what's up. And by nature, they act out as a result of that tension in their parents' relationship. It spills over into the family unit. Everything we do or we fail to do as believers in Christ will ultimately affect someone nearby. And here's why I explain all this. This is the picture of Spring Hill Church. Our elders have said we see God calling us to be uniquely and radically connected in Christ. Not just connected, but intergenerationally so. If you just for a minute consider how unique our church is in this valley, you can pick from two sites on any given morning, out at our legacy site or here in town. We represent five generations at both of our sites. We come from at least six towns with hundreds of neighborhoods represented, and each one of us bring to this church something that directly shapes how we bring the gospel back out into the community. This is a relational reality. This is a biological reality. This is a psychological reality, and it is a biblical reality. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. You know, termites can be some of the most intricately connected species in the world. The New Yorker magazine recently published an article on this. 
And it claimed that termites can build mounds as high as 30 feet off the ground. Think about that. In human terms, that would be building something the size four times of the Sears Tower in Chicago. In one year, 11 pounds of termites can move 364 pounds of dirt and over 300 pounds of water. By the way, all these statistics, I'm going to give you a quiz at the end. We'll see what we can remember. But here's the crazy part. Think about this with me. Termites do all that without any centralized planning. There are no project managers. There's no civil engineers. No one's following a blueprint. Their home is a living organism that constantly adapts to the changing environment around it. And here's the important part. Scholars say that if you separate a termite from its colony, it has no memory and no ability to learn on its own. It is literally lost. But you put a colony of termites together, and they'll build you a fortress or destroy your house. But you get the point. Look again how Paul says it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Many parts, one body. After a lot of prayer and discernment, our elders have said that we believe God is calling us to be this place where not only relationships flourish, but in order to do that, we see ourselves as intergenerationally connected. And as I said, in this church right now, this place right now, every generation is represented. From three months old in our nursery all the way to 90 plus. And we could spend all morning looking at like the unique traits of every generation, but I want to just do this. I want us to think for a minute just about the youngest population in our church. Let me just switch gears on you for a minute. Look at this in Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Moses gives what could be argued as like the summit address of God's people. We touched on this some, some weeks ago, and it goes like this. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. That's the most Hebrew you're ever getting out of me. And it means this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses calls God's people together, and then he gives them this commandment. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And then he says, and this is how you're going to apply that. The words today that I command you shall be on your heart. Now watch this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. In other words, if you're going to love the Lord your God with everything you have, your heart, soul, and strength, that means ensuring that the next generation comes to understand the faith that's within you. Look at this example of how Christ lives this out in Matthew 19. So the children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. Then the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. This was a radical thing for Jesus to do. This, this, this comment would have stunned the crowds. Children were lesser than then. This was not a time where youth culture was all the rage. This was not a time of helicopter parenting or mom blogs. Kids were last in line. And Jesus says to his disciples, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you not see that? Do not bring them, do not hinder them, bring them here. And then we turn to the book of Acts, and no sooner than chapter 16, we find entire households being baptized. 
Paul uses phrases in Ephesians 2 like we are members of God's household. There is this undercurrent in the body of Christ that we're not only intricately connected, but we are woven with threads of every generation. And yet if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, I've said it myself. We say this phrase all the time. We say the children are the future of the church. And friends, that is fake news. Because at Spring Hill, the children are the very present reality of our church. And I start with children and our grandchildren to get us thinking, how is our intergenerational health doing? Because for the first time ever in modern history, there is a palpable breakdown in our society when it comes to this concept of generations. And it's not just with kids, it's with adults too. Forbes magazine published an article a few years ago. It was called, Where Have All the Business Mentors Gone? The article talked about how mentorship in the workplace was no longer this organic thing that was happening. And some say that it's just because of this new pace of life. And others have said, well, no, it's the cell phones, and they change one generation too far from the next. They can't connect. Some blame Google and the fact that younger generations, they don't call and ask mom how to raise their kids. They just look it up. But the bottom line is this, mentorship has been lost in corporate America. And businesses began to take a hit, they noticed this, and so over the last decade, companies have been scrambling to install programs specifically designed to curb this disjointed generational crisis. You might be familiar in your own company of a mentorship program. And yet, just this last week, I read an article about ageism and lawsuits Fueled by eye-roll insults in the office, the latest phase, you might have heard it, is, okay, boomer, or, man, that's a lazy millennial for you. Here's why I read that verse from Deuteronomy, though. Um, This same disconnect of adult generations has happened with our children. Recently, the National Association of Evangelicals gathered to discuss the mass exodus of young people that have been leaving the church. The board represents over 60 denominations and movements in our society, in the United States, and they unanimously named this an epidemic. So one of the largest seminaries in the country, Fuller Seminary, began studying this breakdown, and they found that 50% of all children who have been raised in the church will graduate from youth group and never return. We've got to let that sink in. I want you to feel that sense of urgency. One in two children raised in the church will never come back. They called this study Sticky Faith, and its findings were fascinating. They found time and time again that the reason young adults left the church was because they never figured out how to integrate into the greater intergenerational body of Christ. They were taught how to be children in Sunday school, be good little boys and girls, that they knew how to hang out with their youth pastor and youth group. Some even went on to be involved in college with ministries like Campus Crusades or Young Life. But then they hit adulthood and they had no context for what it meant to belong to the greater body. And after all this research and time and money spent, these scholars found that if we want to curb this trend, this is what it takes. It takes five adults pouring into one child's life. They called it the five to one ratio. That's a teacher, it's a faith mentor, a coach, a family friend, maybe a parent. But the study found that when you have five adults pouring into one child's life, the commitment to their faith gets sticky again. Now, if that's too formulaic for you, maybe not enough room for the Holy Spirit to move, I get it, but let me remind you of this lesson. 
to be the body of Christ is to have all the parts working together. The greatest command ever given in Scripture was followed immediately by this challenge to impress these words on our children, to pass them down generation to generation. Fuller's just telling us what the Bible's already said. And so one of the things that gets me fired up about this new direction for our church is that the elders have planted this flag in the ground that says we will be an intergenerational family. In a culture and in a climate where fragmentation and isolation is rampant, we will be a home that rebuilds what the world has left behind with flourishing relationships. And this matters, right? Just do a little survey in your mind with me. I want us to, and you can even close your eyes if this will help you concentrate. I want us to think about three people in your life who come from a different generation than you. Three people who have made an impact in your life for which you are better. And this could go in either direction of age. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's an aunt. Maybe it's a student that you've had. Maybe it's a teacher. And I want you to stop and think about this with me. How have they shaped your life? Where would you be without them? Just scroll through those three people. How have they shaped your life? And then ask yourself this question. How have you shaped theirs? Where would they be without you? And then as you think through that, the last question that I have is, do they understand how important your relationship is to them? You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Remember the first time I was with a group of kids and they asked me who Osama bin Laden was. I just about fell out of my seat. I was like, how do you not know the greatest enemy to the United States of America? So I told them, I said, well, he was the mastermind of 9-11. And I kid you not, one of the students looked right back at me and he said, square-faced, he said, what is 9-11? And here's what I'm getting at. Um, intergenerational ministry doesn't just happen. It takes intentional and prayerful effort to cross those generational lines because every generation sees life differently. We've experienced different wins. We've experienced different wars. And this is a timeless challenge because there has always been a disconnect from one generation to the other. Reverend Dr. Billings and I were talking about this earlier this week and he said, you know what's funny? He said, when I was your age, anybody over 50 was dumb. And he said, now that I'm my age, it's anybody over 85. He said, just keeps. But there's always been a disconnect between generations. We want to rebuild that at Spring Hill. So I want us to close with looking at just a few barriers that we have to overcome to get over this wall and do this well. Um, the first is this, it's pace. If you want to have any quality relationship in your life, the first thing you have to do is slow down. And I think this is especially true of our younger generations. It's certainly in my head all the time. For this to be successful, we have to understand that relationships take time and intentionality. I was thinking of this verse earlier this week from Ephesians 5. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Busyness is the cancer of relationships. Look at how Dr. Chap Clark explained this from Sticky Faith. And parents, this one will be important to you as you read this. He says, I think we should get up on the screens here maybe. He said that when it comes to our children, we have evolved to the point where we believe that driving is support, being active in extracurriculars is love, and providing any and every opportunity is selfless nurture. We are a culture that has forgotten how to be together. 
We have lost the ability to spend unstructured downtime with those we love. The first thing we have to do is slow down. It's our pace. The second barrier I think we need to overcome is translation. Translation. As a youth pastor, I was preaching to a group of students one evening, and all these kids were just buried in their phones, right? But one in particular was really going at it. And and as this lesson went on, I saw him texting back and forth. I'm sure it was with someone in the room. And I thought, man, why are you even here? You're not even listening. So finally, all those things, all those thoughts in my head finally came out, and I called this kid out in front of the entire group. Just lit him up. Felt awesome. I, I promise I won't do that to you. But then with this bright red face, he holds up his cell phone, and I kid you not, he had been taking notes on the entire sermon on his phone. I completely misunderstood this guy, because I completely misunderstood the cataclysmic culture shift in the room. There's a translation and a breakdown that happens from culture to culture, but even more so with apps and phones and technology today. We have to be careful with the way we translate things. We come up with these new hip names in church, right, like life groups. And and I remember when my grandmother, God rest her soul, she's went on to be with the Lord, but I remember when she first heard me talk about this radical concept years ago. She was like, oh, that's so cute. You've renamed what we've been doing for 40 years. She said, "In, in my world, we called that supper club, honey. But we have to be careful with the language that we choose, but also with the definition that we think that we're hearing. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We've got to slow down our pace, and we've got to be careful about translation. That brings me to my third barrier that we need to watch over, and that's prejudgments and prejudice. One of the greatest barriers, I think, to any relationship, let alone an intergenerational one, is this preconceived idea that we bring to the table before the other person across from it begins to speak to us. And we could go on and on about all the judgments that we make across generations, but I think the greatest judgment that hinders our ability to move forward together is that we think often that we have nothing to offer someone on the other side. We think, what could that younger or that older person actually want from me? And yet behind the scenes when no one's watching, survey after survey after survey proves that we're all craving these relationships across generations. So I think if we're doing this intergenerational thing right, we've got to set that prejudice aside and look at how everyone can win. Let me just ask, who here knows how to sew? Did you know, and I'm stating facts here, there are young women in our church just this last week, talking about how they'd love to learn how to sew with you. Who here knows how to fly fish? I got you anytime. You can come show me. We'll do it. Do you know how to cook? Everyone loves a home-cooked meal. And here's, here's what this looks like. There are grandparents in this church who have no family in Bozeman. Can you just raise your hands if that's you? If you're a grandparent in this church, you have no family in Bozeman. And there are young families in this church who have no parents or grandparents in Bozeman. Can you raise your hands and be brave for a minute? Let's have lunch. How about this? Do you know how to be a man of Christ? Do you know how to be a father figure to someone? Just this week on Tuesday night, we're starting up a new leadership team. We, we want to revamp this ministry of fathers in the field and make it on fire and robust. There are young men in this valley who have no figure, no male figure in their life to look up to. That could be you. 
that too is coming as we look at what it means to love our neighbors and be intergenerationally connected. It's now strong in our vision moving forward. But more than that and beyond all that, God's word is really clear to us this morning. Someone poured their faith into you. Someone taught you who Jesus was and what he did for you. And now someone else needs you to do that for them. We're a place to call home where generations connect. It's really simple. Um, This is the the simple takeaway that I'm going to offer you this morning. I heard Bill Young last Sunday was telling you all to kiss each other. Um, Done one Sunday, I tell you what. I'm not requiring any holy kisses this morning, okay? Uh, This is my one takeaway, though, that you would find one person in your life who's on the peripheral, one person from a different generation who you know is kind of out there and maybe have connected a little bit, and pour into them with everything you have. And then don't be surprised when the benefits come roaring back to you. That's my challenge for us this morning. Because for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Let me ask God to help us to do that. God, I, I think just how miraculously our bodies are made, Lord. We could go on and on and on just thinking about and giving praise to you for how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. And yet, Lord, then you take that image by your very word and you use it for the body of Christ. God, would you help us to apply that lesson to our lives, Lord? That we would look to one another across generations to see what gifts you have given us and that we would be better together. Lord, that we would pass the faith on to the generations knowing that they too have gifts that would complement and benefit the body of Christ. God, I just pray that this would be a place when somebody walks into our building or into our community that they would see something and know something and feel something that is different. That we would radically love each other in such a way that others would come to want to find that connection too, God. Would you bring that one person to mind this morning, Lord, who we can reach out to this week and build a bridge where maybe there was nothing before? God, keep the enemy away with this lie of that we're not meant for each other or not good enough or have nothing to bring, Lord. But would you help us to see ourselves as a bigger part of the community, God, where our connection matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.